everyone, welcome back. This is Collapse Talk with Gabriel Marrero, and well, I hope y'all are just dealing with everything, you know, pretty wild last couple of weeks, but honestly, we just have to keep our heads straight. But, you know, as we say on this show, I mean, you know, prepare for the worst, expect the worst. Uh, well, I don't know if we say that, but that's just something that I kind of live by now. You know, don't let it, don't let anything surprise you, really. So, you know, I figured I'd record today. You know, it's the twenty-first, so first day of fall, and it's a dreary day. It's a kind of a wet day. You know, some rain and a, some pretty heavy cloud cover, pretty gray. You know, it feels like it's the later in the afternoon, but it's only like three o'clock. So, which is a uh, pretty welcome, honestly. It's a uh, been pretty sunny, pretty, you know, not, not, not that I don't like the sun, you know, it's, you know, it's good to have, uh, to work on the skin color and tan up, uh, but yeah, it's just dreary, you know, so we have a tropical storm on the way here in Texas, you know, in the coastal regions in Houston, they're getting some rain out there, so we'll just have to see what happens with the storm, but I'll talk about that more later on in the natural segment, because in this show, we have... The we have three segments, so I talk about the international, you know, world, global politics, geopolitics, and then I also talk about domestic, um, given you know the United States collapse that's occurring right now, and then also the natural world and just you know climate change. You know, just try to divvy up because collapse is really it's like an umbrella. It honestly is if you really think about it. So all these things just lead into the same thing. So yeah, so I'll talk about international segment. And so I wanted to speak about something that's pretty recent. So it's a uh, allegation of Chinese warplanes violating uh, Taiwanese airspace. About 40 warplanes breached Taiwan's straight median line. Uh, The president calls it a threat of force. Reading this from CNN, Taiwan's president has accused Beijing of purposefully inflaming tensions in East Asia after Chinese warplanes crossed the sensitive median line across the narrow strait that separates the mainland and the self-governing island almost 40 times on Friday and Saturday. Taken together, the repeated incursions which came from multiple directions and invoked a combination of sophisticated fighter jets and heavy bombs is without modern president and marks a significant escalation in cross-strait tensions. So, yeah, this is a, uh, well, the article came out within, you know, today at 9, 9.50, so it was pretty recent. So these incursions happened later on and, or earlier, and so, yeah, it's just like another escalation of Beijing threatening Taiwan, and because, you know, Beijing doesn't sees it as a breakaway state, uh, it's the remnants of the nationalist Time, uh, time, uh, movement, Chiang Kai-shek. So, yeah, I mean, this is technically the Republic of China. That's what Taiwan considers themselves. And so, this is just another escalation. I mean, uh, there were China was also doing like, you know, these exercise amphibious exercises. Just you know, they're they're definitely trying to strengthen their naval capabilities. That's something that they have to work on. They've, you know, they made their first aircraft carrier like 10 years ago so it's something you know as a land army it's something to contend with but you know it's not necessarily a threat until they start becoming a serious naval power 
and they certainly have the potential to become one. Like, we shouldn't really sleep on that. Like, that was, you know, historically the reason why they hadn't been considered much of a global threat because they never really focused on the Navy. But when they when they did, it was uh, pretty advanced, pretty sophisticated. So it's not something that we, you should sleep on, as I said. But yeah, so, quote, What we are seeing now is not just a situation across the Taiwan Strait, but a regional situation. China's recent military activities, especially in the past few days, clearly constitute a threat of force, which is part of their verbal attacks and military threats against Taiwan, President Tsai Ing-wen told reporters Sunday. Right, so... I mean, they also have the South China Sea situation. They have their islands that they're building so that they can claim it to be Chinese territory and then they can expand their control in the area, primarily for fishing. And, you know, I I need, I don't know, I mean, there probably is oil in that area too that they're trying to get, but, you know, it's just, it's not out of the question. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're just trying to get, get control. I don't know, because they, they do this all in, um, they, they do this also in international waters, as I mentioned before, the, the Galapagos uh, islands, the border regions there, they had entire fleets just like like sitting in like a narrow gap where the borders intersected. So they were sitting, you know, and fishing in those international like sliver of waters. And, you know, that's not, I mean, you know, it could be a line on your map GPS, but, you know, the, o- the ecosystem in the ocean doesn't recognize that. So... That's, uh, yeah, so, yeah, China definitely acting a fool, trying to cement their power. I mean, each each time I just read something new about them, I'm just like, they can't be allowed to win. They, you know, and I, I don't know, man. So, as I said, China definitely escalating their influence in the region. And, you know, this is also a thing that's occurring in India, between India and China and the Himalayas. There's a, a lake that they're trying to have control over, and so they're constantly butting heads and you know fighting openly, and you know people have died. So this is you know it's just strange because each time you read one of their you know propaganda agents whatever that they're always like we've never violated international laws because you know India has always you know been encour- encouraging on our our land. And it's just like, yeah, because you guys keep pushing the the border. So technically, you've never crossed the border because you don't. It's just, oh my goodness gracious, they, these they can't be they can't be allowed to win. I don't know what we're gonna do, but yeah, that's just what's happening there. So Taiwan uh, is definitely on the dinner menu. I mean, Hong Kong is uh you know just you think Hong Kong is bad? This is gonna be something else. Like this is. Yeah, if they ever put troops on that island. And, you know, one thing I do like about Trump, he does not tolerate China's antics. That's like the one thing uh, that he's good at. So, I mean, if we do end up in a war and Trump leads the way, you know, I I don't believe he's competent. But, you know, hopefully he'll listen more to the generals than rather than his political minders because... The generals, they want to win, and they want to win this right. Like, they they know what's up, you know, with China. So, who knows? Which, I, you know, because there was uh, the comments that, or allegations that uh, Trump said about World War One veterans, calling them losers, the ones who were wounded and died, you know, losers or whatever. And 
I'm inclined to believe it. You know, there was a huge outrage behind it. I was just like, I, I don't like my mind. I don't have, I don't care. I just don't care, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I'm inclined to believe he made those comments because given his social status, you know, his upbringing, you know, military service is clearly not something that's valued. <laughs> I mean, he dra he dodged the draft, you know, if he wanted to fight in that war, he would have enlisted at the very least. Or he could have done what George Bush did. But hey, you know, he probably did have bone spurs. I mean, he he was, you know, on the football team playing sports in school. So, I you know, I, I honestly, at this rate, I, who cares? Because, like, obviously, given his, you know, rich status, he was going to dodge the war. So, I mean, on, at this point, I don't care. It, But he did say that stuff about John McCain. You know, making the joke, oh, I like my soldiers who weren't captured, you know, and like, you don't do that. You like, it showed a lack of respect, you know, and I don't know why he didn't, you know, there's a lot of other things that he could have said about John McCain, but like that, he went to there. That's my point. You know, that's something that I, I can't really, you know, get behind. But yeah, so as I was saying, so if we end up in a war with China, you know, okay, I get, I'm pretty sure Trump, you know, he's been talking about China. He's the strongest against China. So, all right, let's move it. You know, you're, you know, you only got, you know, one more term left because you are going to win this election, but, or who knows? I don't know. The election is going to be a fucking mess, but I'll talk about that later on. But yeah, so China strengthening up their influence and threatening Taiwan. So next up, I wanted to talk about another issue that's kind of overlooked. I haven't really heard people talk about this, uh, but this is a, an issue that I've uh, not, not with this specific region, but I've talked about given you know, the water resources that are depleting, freshwater resources, the competition that arises from that. So in Mexico... There is a group of farmers that is occupying a dam and they're, you know, pissed off about water payments that are being made for, you know, who knows what. So in the, what's it called? Uh, the uh, Chihuahua state. So I'm reading this from the Washington Post. For 75 years, through tensions and disputes over immigration, narco trafficking and trade, Mexico and the United States have sent each other billions of gallons of waters annually to irrigate farms along the border under a treaty signed during World War II. But today, the 1944 agreement is facing increasingly violent oppositions in drought-parched Chihuahua State, where protesters have seized control of a major dam to dramatize the plight of farmers whose cotton, tomatoes, and pecan crops, they say, depend on the water that's being sent north. Unrest has simmered for months over U.S. demands that Mexico pay off a shortfall of more than 100 billion gallons by October 24th to meet its five-year water delivery quota, Local farmers say the extra payments are emptying reserves that store water they need. End quote. So, yeah, so this is a crisis that's occurring, actually. So it's at La Boquilla Dam in Con Conchas Rivers. And about, yes, 2,000 protesters swarmed the dam and seized it. And one woman was shot. You know, they were clashing with National Guard and poli military police. This is very serious. And so... This is obviously a, you know, result of climate change. 
you know, now that, you know, I mean, they're probably, the area is becoming drier and hotter. And so the water resources, the dam is de being depleted and they still have to make these quotas, meet the quotas for the United States. And it's the uh, water. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're depleting our own water. You know, soon enough, states are going to be fighting each other over city, you know, water in California, especially Jesus. So yeah, this is just another water water war that's gonna or confrontation that's gonna break out especially given that this is you know the farmers the peasants that are using this for their crops you know cotton tomato pecan crops so it's you know it's it's going to affect uh, mexican economy economic activity and certainly strengthen narco activity who knows it so yeah, Mexico is in a tight spot, really. You know, and I've been thinking about Mexico and these uh, sicarios, the narcos, and that's going to be a serious problem, you know, because if the United States collapses, well, then Mexico is not that far behind. And, that, and, I'm not, and I don't know exactly what, like, the Mexican government, but, you know, if the rule of law breaks down within the United States, and that's certainly an opportunity for the cartels to strengthen, and, you know, so... At least in Texas, we already got our own militias patrolling that region, so they'll deal with that. I, th I think that's I think that's why I'm liking Texas a lot more because they're not gonna put up with that shit. They're not gonna put up with narcos coming in here and like terrorizing us. Like they're just not. So we'll just have to see how it play all plays out. But as I said, this is more focused on the water, uh, water payments. And just the depletion of resources and how this is going to affect the locals within Mexico. I mean, I'm sure this is not the only area that's facing water problems in Mexico. But yeah, this is just something interesting. And so, as I said, this is this is, this is an agreement uh, from 1944. And so, I mean, it's going to be another, you know, I don't, I don't see like the United States and Mexico having a falling out. Like dramatically, I mean, they, they can deal with Trump. I mean, who knows what else they can deal with? But it's I I, I don't know what could happen if Mexico or if the United States gets into a civil war situation. What is Mexico going to see, and what what could they possibly do? Because we have like a whole swath of land that we took from them, and if there's a nationalist segment within Mexico that wants to restore those borders, who knows? I mean, there's a movement actually of, I wouldn't say Mexican, maybe Chicano or, you know, just, um, you know, a movement within the United States of Mexican descent Americans who want to restore Aztlan, as they call it. So that's a real thing, <laughs> you know, who knows what, what that is, you know, going to, occur i mean it's just something that it's just there it's just something that's happening so it's a lot to consider but yeah so you know mexican farmers and you know facing drought certainly an effect of climate change and this is going to be more of a problem in the future not just in mexico just around the world you're, you're going to see similar stories of countries coming into conflict i mean notably Egypt and Sudan, no, e Egypt, yes, the Sudan is involved in, as well, but Egypt and Ethiopia 
Um, and the the dam there, there's a dam along the Nile River that uh, Egypt uses. So it's just, yeah, it's a lot to consider. It's a lot. I mean, Egyptian forces are training in like mountain and jungle warfare, like specifically if they have to deal with Ethiopia. It's crazy. So, yeah. So we'll move on there. So I also wanted to speak on just a recent development with North Korea, really more having to deal with our the North Koreans and our banking system. And, you know, as we all know, our banking system is they're upstanding citizens. And, you know, obviously something I, I I'm joking, obviously, it's just, you know, they're going to make shortcuts and they're going to do dirty dealings. It's just, they're just banks. They like money. So reading this from NBC, a trove of confidential bank documents reviewed by NBC News offers a rare glimpse into how North Korea and other rogue actors move illicit cash across borders despite international sanctions designed to block Pyongyang's access to global financial system. The suspected laundering by North Korea-linked organizations amounted to more than of $174.8 million over a period of several years, with transactions cleared through U.S. banks, including J.P. Morgan and the Bank of New York Mellon. Uh, according to the documents, documents cover a period mainly from 2008 to 2017, during which both the Obama and Trump administrations steadily tightened sanctions against North Korea to try to prevent the regime from building up its nuclear weapons and ballistic arsenal. Yeah, this appears to be something that they've, uh, you know, when, when, once the sanctions were placed on North Korea, they had to use other ways to get their money, you know, circulate it. You know, they're banks. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's been so many banks that have links to terrorist organizations and, you know, the Sicarios and Narcos certainly have money. African warlords. I mean, it's insane, and they're because they're not going to turn down money. If a guy, if a fucking warlord comes to you with money, you're not going to ask any questions. I mean, it's not him. It's not the the warlord directly. It's usually like an associate of some kind. So, you know, it's money laundering. So it comes through another, you know, like a shell company, right? It, it just it's another way. You know, the bank isn't going to ask. The bank's not going to ask any questions. Just, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm not surprised by this at all, but, you know, it's just something interesting that came up, you know, just another, you know, everything is so exposed now because you, you, everything is being exposed and then you realize that this is just the way it's been, <laughs> it, you know, oh my God, it's just, so yeah, we have laundering, North Korean laundering criminals drug lords as well laundering in our banking systems i mean it's just it is what it is you know at this point they're just going to continue accepting money like yes i will because it benefits them they're just like yes i will hold this thank you for your business sir <laughs> you know so that's that that's what's happening there um right so i also wanted to talk about what i had uh explained in an earlier episode with nalvani so Novani, he was, uh, he had some tea during a flight. And he was poisoned. Novichok, 
So he was in a coma, medically inducing coma, but now he's recovered and he's he he's steadily, you know, getting his bearings. He seems like he really got it bad. It's a good thing they didn't uh, do polonium. That's a little more, that's like radioactive. Um, but yeah, so this was something uh, that he was dealing with. And now he's, you know, he's going to get some physical therapy and other other things. But that's, you know, the, the poison, I mean, is something, I, I don't know how that is like um, being poisoned. That's probably just... That, that's gotta suck because apparently he was like having seizures and like you know groaning like i mean yeah i just imagine you're just you know like you feel like you're burning inside like there's a fire going on in your heart or something that must be geez so yeah so it's novachok and you know the russian government putin's government you know they've sent him his best wishes Ima- imagine getting poisoned and then the Russian government sends you flowers. Get well <laughs> from Putin, my friend. <laughs> oh my God, that is like just not even that. You know, forget forget the government. Forget you know Putin's position in power. Imagine you're having trouble with somebody, and you've been you know he, he's obviously rightfully you know needs to be called out, and you know suddenly you know you're going about your day and then you're drinking your tea. You're poisoned, you pass out, you wake up, and then you get a note from the guy you've been calling out, and he's just like, Yo, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you. Uh, you know, best wishes, you know, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> just like, oh my god, like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's Nalvani. So thankfully, he's doing well. I, I don't know, I think the reason they didn't go with Polonium, you know, maybe with Novichok, you know. So it may have not been a lethal dosage, but at least enough to, you know, get him sick, you know, send a message, right? Because if something happened to him and actually he died, I don't, I don't know what would have happened with the population, with the Russian people, because they are certainly, you know, they're, you know, they don't really cover, but there are like, you know, mass protests and, you know, people, uh, especially younger people that don't really like what they're seeing or what they're dealing with, the conditions they're in. So, and we'll just have to see, especially with this COVID outbreak. I mean, Russia, it, yeah, they got pretty hit pretty hard, honestly. So, you know, we'll have to see what's happening there. But, you know, any, it's not going to be like in Belarus. I mean, because like in Belarus, I think they're being, the, the police and the military are being very tame. Thankfully, because the protesters are uh, very passive and, or I shouldn't say they're not passive. They they have their moments, certainly. But in Russia, like, they're not going to accept, like, a mass protest movement. Like, the military won't, won't allow it. Or the police. Who knows? It. Just not even the police. Like, the... Because in Russia, it's such... I don't know what the gender, the sex ratio is in Russia. I would imagine, given the past, uh, you know last you know 70 years with the war that the male population has slowly been resurging so who knows what effect that has had but there is a section of the population that like which is back up 
whatever the government or you know the you know that that wants that strongman machismo atmosphere you know i mean it's a hard place to live in so it just like that's the, that attitude that strong you know i guess you could call it toxic masculine attitude is uh very prevalent there so you know yeah that's in russia and so that would be very difficult for a very liberal movement to take place because they wouldn't allow it at all. In Belarus, it's another situation to look at. And it's certainly, as I said, echoing back to Ukraine with the movement there. So what recently came out is a leak, data leak with hackers revealing the identities of a thousand Belarusian officers. So... Anonymous hackers leaked the personal data of a thousand Belarusian police officers in retaliation for a crackdown on street demonstrations against ve veteran President Alexander Lukashenko as protesters stage another mass rally. As the arrests continue, we will continue to publish data on a massive scale, said a statement distributed by the opposition news channel Nexta live on the messaging app Telegram. No one will, no one will remain anonymous, even under a balaclava. The government said it would find and punish those responsible for leaking the data, which was widely distributed on Saturday evening. Tens of thousands of opposition supporters marched in the Belarusian capital Minsk on Sunday, despite authorities deploying a heavy police presence. The protest came a day after police officers detained hundreds of demonstrators at a women's march in the city. Right, so. And I also believe they had a demonstration where up to 200,000 people showed up. So, I mean, they, a lot, I mean, people are really coming out in the streets for this. And who knows how far this is going to go. But if it escalates, Russia will intervene. They're not going to allow any kind of insurrection in the country. So that's just what's going to happen there. So, yeah, as I said, this could turn into a serious uh, crisis for Europe. And NATO, you know, and for Russia too. Russia is going to have to make some pretty drastic actions. But, you know, for now, that's um what I wanted to wrap up with on the international. You know, those are the stories that kind of stood out to me. Probably missed something. Uh, I wanted to really expand upon the domestic sphere on this episode because we've had a pretty serious development. Well, um, given the death of, or I should say passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so I think this is a pivotal moment for the United States politically, because this is just only going to escalate things. I mean, we have our election problems to worry about. Now we have to worry about placing a Supreme Court pick. And look, we're in this mess, this predicament, all because of Mitch McConnell. Because Mitch McConnell was the one who, when Antonin Scalia passed, he was delaying the vote on Merrick Garland and saying, well, it's an election year and we can't allow a vote and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, so this guy... He has done more damage to this republic than any terrorist could dream of. Because by setting that precedent, 
now we're in this mess where based on his you know standards that he set in place there should be a vote after the election so and in fact he i guess he made a statement earlier he spoke on the floor i didn't see that just yet but you know he's a slimy hypocrite honestly he I, I don't know what went wrong in his upbringing. When I see these type of people, I don't know what exactly went wrong with their life to bring them to this point where they're in this position. <laughs> okay. Like, what went wrong? Like, I, I, I don't know. So now we're in this mess because he started this with the whole, well, it's an election year, so we can't appoint. Supreme Court pick, and also, uh, he, 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 I'm like at a loss for words, like, the, I don't know what to say, because, you know, we have the Democrats now saying, oh, we should wait until the election, we should wait till after, after the election to do it. And now that the Republicans are all up in arms saying, no, we have to do the Supreme Court pick now. So now they're reversing it. And it, these guys, they have the memory of a goldfish, honestly. And, you know, I'm not too happy with the Democrats either. Because now they're switching roles. And now they're like, you see what I'm saying? Like, oh, my goodness. Because now it's all about their side. It's all about their political win, right? It's just this is this is this is not good for the republic. It's not. It's not because it's just about the side. It's just about the team. It's not about the country. And there's some you know significant people that I listen to as, for as pundits and commentators. And you already see like the the, the line in the sand and where people are stepping on. And, you're, and I'm just like, I'd just rather stay on the line because <laughs> I don't, I don't know. This is not, uh, this is not good. This is not going to end well. I mean, cause look, I would be remiss to say that there isn't a chaotic side of me that wouldn't like to see everything burned down. But I also know that there's no going back and you know, you get what you like, you get what you wish for. Cause I mean, like, I prefer not to have to, you know, survive every day and, you know, try to scrap for a meal every day. But, I mean, if that's where everything is heading towards, then, you know, might as well just live with it. But a lot of people don't know. They're just detached from reality and they don't know what that leads to because they have other things in mind. So, this this is just another historic event. And, you know, and also with... The, I guess the liberals and the Democrats, they're just like, oh, why couldn't she die, you know, after the election? Man, why couldn't she die? As if she had any control over that. I'm sorry. You know, like, that, it, 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 it's, it's terrible that we're in the position where the fate of our nation hinges on the death of a person, you know? That's a terrible situation to be in. Especially a person who is 87. Because, like, she had so many different, like, ailments in the last, not, not even, like, in the last couple of 
years, just in the last couple of months, there's all these articles coming about her health and her recovery. Like, dude, she had so much care with her. I'm just like, wow. I'm just, I'm, you know. And then she also said that the vote has needed to be after her death. And these are people assuming that Trump is going to lose. They're assuming that he's going to lose. And that's why they want the elect the, the appointment afterwards. I'm just like, wow. I, I don't know, man. That we're, we're very lost. This is not a good thing. I, I don't know. You know, because I'm just trying to sit and just watch this like if I, as if I wasn't an American, you know, as if I wasn't an American, if I was somebody who was outside, who's just really knowledgeable about this, just looking like what in the what is going on but yeah so the you know notorious rbg she's gone you know rest in peace and honestly though this is as i said you know at this moment in my life i kind of just like learn to laugh at things now so when i see people online just like no i'm just like yes i mean not for the passing of rbg but just like oh okay you're at I don't know. I, it's not that I enjoy people in despair, but it's just a realization that, yeah, things are bad. Like, this is not going to end well. Like, get with the program. Like, there's a lot of people who are just not with, who don't understand it. So they just need that wake-up call. Um, I don't know. It might be like a controversial thing to say, but just, you know, these things happen. You know, these things happen. The fact that we are going to have a politicized Supreme Court, that's not good. It's not healthy for the functioning of our republic. And this partisanship is just not, it's not going to end well. I'm sorry. And, you know, it's not to say that, you know, they can't put appoint somebody in the Supreme Court who appears to be conservative, but then might make a, a you know, a decision in court that could be, you know, they might actually defend Roe v. Wade. I mean, who, who knows? Um, everybody thinks that's at stake. And it very well could be. You know. <sighs> yeah, man. So the, the one argument they had about Joe Biden is completely kaput. It's completely kaput. That's what everybody was saying. Oh, well, you're making a pick for the Supreme Court. Yeah, because you know she's going to die. <laughs> wow, man. I'm just like. Some people, man. Some people. Anyway, so I don't want to talk too much about that because everybody's has an p- opinion. But I'm just upset at Mitch McConnell for putting us in this mess in the first place. Because if he didn't do that with Merrick Garland, because basically speaking, the the president can appoint whenever one passes or retires, can just appoint it. That's their designation. But when he, he came in the way just saying, well, actually, now we're in this constitutional mess because now we have to point to the Constitution and it's saying one thing, but then we did it the other time. Well, that's not fair. That So, yeah, these motherfuckers. So anyway, moving onward. With our COVID outbreak pandemic, that's, you know, Still burning strong. I mean, this is still the first wave, and we're talking about the second wave that's coming soon. Uh, you know, I need to get my flu shot. Jesus. So, 
um, we've passed, surpassed the 200,000 death toll, death mark. And, you know, we're just going to have to weather the storm and deal with what comes next. You know, it's... Of course, not something that we should. I don't know what to say about that. The two hundred thousand death. Um, it's unacceptable in my mind because it's still going to rise. I mean, we don't know what this is going to end at. That's going to continue to rise. It's unacceptable. It's directly highlighting the failures of our healthcare system, and not just that. Also, the failures of our ability to coordinate and deal with a national emergency, national crisis. Uh, you know, health guidelines. I mean, the CDC just reversed the health guidelines about the virus spreading through the air. So people are going to, I mean, I don't know what to believe. I'm still going to keep my mask on because I just feel better with it. Especially now, because I don't like being around like in in close proximity with other folks, especially now, because I feel like the hygiene Standards are slowly declining for whatever reason. I don't know why it's happening, but yeah. Anyway, but yeah, CDC reversed some guidelines, and so we have 200,000 death dead. And they're also saying that, like, you know, about like maybe 10,000 of those people died directly because of the virus. And so the majority have been comorbidities, the elderly the obese, uh, you know, people with underlying conditions. And so, yes, that is the case. That, that is the case. Uh, the point is that it's still unacceptable. Like it, the response was irresponsible and it's not entirely on Trump because, you know, now it's released that, I mean, okay, Trump is part of it. Absolutely. You know, cause he did come out with that word, word interview, Trying, he said, trying to downplay it. His strategy, I guess, was trying to like blow it off so everybody wouldn't panic. But it was getting bad. So you're saying one thing that is not bad, so people are complacent and it gets worse. And then there's a real panic, a real hysteria. You know, his style, I guess, is just to downplay it. You know, downplay it. It's not that bad. I mean, you know, it might be stage four, but people have beaten it before. You know, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, people want to hear it straight. They rather hear it straight. You know, they say, hey, this is not going to go down well, but here's what we can do. And if we band together, you know, we can get through it. Like, that's what real leadership is. I don't know. So, yes, that happened. 200,000 dead. And yes, as I said, Trump... The, re- the the point I was making, you know, Trump, he's guilty, but, you know, you have all the other stuff in, like, New York with Cuomo, allegations of him putting people back into nursing homes and that participating uh, towards the death toll there as well. I, I mean, and I'm sure there's other stuff the Democrats have done to make things worse, especially with the BLM protests. You know, people, you know, they're all upset with the shutdown protesters, and then you see the BLM, and they're out in the millions like, I can understand that point. Like, yeah, that, that is a bit of a double standard. I will say that. So, anyway. Yeah. So, we still have, because as I said, this is the first day of fall. And it certainly feels like it. You know, it's just nice to, you know, have 
some actual sweater weather temperatures, like 72 degrees. That's awesome. So, yeah, but, you know, that's also going to start up with flu season. So I need to get my shot, my flu shot. You definitely need to get it, um, you know, because I don't want to be sick with both of that. And I've been lucky, I guess, because I, I have been interacting with folks a bit more than usual. But it's just, you know, at this point, like, it, you know, it's just nice to have human interaction, you know. I'm sure I'm, I'm self-isolating now, trying to stay by myself now. But, yeah, I mean, you still need an interaction. And you still need people to hug. Just got to make sure that, you know, doing things right. Anyway, so we got the uh, COVID outbreak occurring. But we also got within our ICE detention facilities, some pretty disturbing allegations as well. And it comes from these female detention centers where supposedly they are, they are performing mass hysterectomies, you know, and a hysterectomy is the removal of a woman's uterus. So... Yeah, these are these are pretty new allegations, you know. Uh, I mean, that's essentially forced sterilization, and that's a, the same technique that the Chinese are using against Uyghur Muslims. So, yeah, I mean, with something like this, I have to like really take it with a grain of salt because like that is really, really devious, and that's essentially a, a human rights violation. You know, especially if it's against the, the the will of the women. So, I mean, okay. So I'm reading this from lawandcrime.com, and this is uh, per the AP. So, a lawyer who helped file the complaint said she never spoke to any woman who had hysterectomies. Priyanka Botts, staff attorney at the advocacy group Project South, told the Washington Post that she included the hysterectomy allegations because she wanted to trigger an investigation to determine if they were true. I have a responsibility to listen to the women I've been spoken to. Bot told the AP Friday, she said one woman alleged that she was repeatedly pressured to have a hysterectomy that authorities said they would not pay for her to get a second opinion. And so that was a st that was per the AP in this article, but I'll read onward. Uh, quote, uh, members of Congress and groups representing Duan Wu-Ten have demanded an investigation of the nurses' claims about mass hysterectomies on Irwin County Detention Center's detainees. The doctor signed, since identified as OBGYN, Mahrendra Amin, told The Intercept he only performed one or two hysterectomies in the past two or three years. He also denied performing surgeries without patient's consent. Everything is wrong, and if you want to talk, talk to the hospital administrator, Amin said. Scott Grubman, a lawyer for Amin, who also vigorously denied the allegations in the complaint, we look forward to all the facts coming out and are confident that once they do, Dr. Amin will be cleared of wrongdoing, Grubman said. Uh, okay. Onward, Amin and other doctors previously reached a settlement with the Department of Justice in 2015 after Connie Brogdon and Summer Holland filed a, filed a lawsuit under the whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act and the Georgia False Medicaid Claims Act 
alleging doctors caused false claims to be submitted to Medicare and Medicaid. And there was also an update made on September 8th. The Associated Press reported that more immigrant migrant women had come forward and alleged that they did not agree to surgical procedures, but AP also said that its review of the matter did not include did not find evidence of mass hysterectomies, as alleged in a widely shared complaint filed by a nurse at the detention center. So there's these complaints being made, and the AP is looking into it, and they're not really finding anything, but they're getting a lot of allegations. So you know that's why it's kind of harder to take this a little seriously. But it's not out of the question, because at this point, I don't let anything surprise me, and I can certainly see uh, this happening. You know, there are you know, reports of uh, children at these detention centers being abused and disappearing. So certainly having to do with uh, human trafficking, you know, sex trafficking, you know, all that, all that stuff. But, you know, the people who are... In these centers, detention centers, probably aren't the most well-adjusted and probably like having that power dynamic of, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what goes on there because you see some of these photos and it's overcrowded. You know, there's no space. They're just sitting on top of each other. And it's not like these are criminals. These are just normal people trying to escape, you know, actual criminals you know nar narcos and sicarios and it's just crazy stuff so yeah but you know again these are allegations so we're just gonna have to wait because they're saying one thing and yeah this is just another story to pay attention to i guess but these allegations in ice detention centers they're certainly not Look, once this all is done and the truth comes out, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff that people are going to realize was... Because uh, I don't think this is it's a holocaust. I don't think that's the case. But, you know, anytime you're in control, you have a mass incarceration. I mean, we have I mean, we, uh, we have our, our regular justice system and the prison system, you know. But we get, we justify it because they're criminals. And even that needs reform because... It's just about punishment, and there's a recidivism. Any, anywho, with this, you know, they're just detaining foreigners. So it's not—they're not even ours, and that's the mentality behind their detention. And uh, the, you know, the stories that are going to come out of this. You know, if we have any history to write, is going to be bad. You know, it's not going to be pretty. Anyway, so that's happening there so i you know we were talking about our the political divisions and you know you know just the the, the signs of worrying signs of I guess you could call it fascism and detention mass detentions you know violations of human rights so that is occurring but then we also have the economic situation that's occurring with young people that's I mean, millennials are just getting fucked and you know especially college students i mean we are in a bind honestly and i'll be honest i i don't know i'm i don't know how what i'm going to do I, I mean 
it's a fork in the road because I'm looking at the path with college, you know, continuing with it with the degree, and I, and I do want a degree, but it's just like, what am I doing? I'm just, I don't know. I, you know, it's very, you know, because this is certainly something I want to do podcasting, but then I have all these other things to add on to it, and it's just like, I don't want that. You know, I have like um media practicum i have to write articles and you know just just the fact that there's somebody who's over me you know telling me you know and it just i I don't know i I don't it's not a position that i like at whatsoever because as i said i'd much rather answer to my own audience than to have somebody who you know, it's going to monitor what I say and what I do and just say, oh, well, you should probably do this. And again, I guess they're just doing their job. It's not, you know, it's just not for me. I don't do well with that anyway. But what's been released now is that low income college students are dropping out at, you know, alarming numbers. I mean, yeah, I feel incredibly lucky that I've survived through college, at least till now. But my GPA is certainly going to take a hit. I'm just going to... I just want the bare minimum. Like, I don't care. I Just give me the fucking degree. <laughs> Either way, I'm, I'm fucked. Because I look at the job prospects, especially with journalism. And you got to play ball. That That's the thing. You got to play ball so, so you can get some position at BuzzFeed. Or have some internship advice. I don't know, man. Like, and you got to play ball. Especially with the culture war stuff now. Like, you think it's bad? I still have, like, another year to go with my plan if I can pull it off this semester. But it's going to be far worse by the time I get my degree and I have to enter the field. So I'm glad I'm doing this now and roughing the, you know, just smoothing the kinks now because, you know, I, I, I certainly want to be more independent in that sense. So, as I said, so yeah, so low-income students are dropping out and I'm reading this from the Washington Post uh, and this is following a student uh, called Paige McConnell so quote in August Paige McConnell became the first in her family to go to college and the first to drop out McConnell 18 could not make online classes work she doesn't have wi-fi at her rural home in Crossville Tennessee the local library turned her away not wanting anyone sitting around during the pandemic she spent hours in the McDonald's parking lot Using the fast food chain's internet, she kept getting kicked off her college's virtual classes because the network wasn't safe. For two weeks after starting at Rowan State Community College, she gave up. At my high school graduation, or quote, at my high school graduation, I told all my family I would go to community college. I was trying to better my future, McConnell said, but the online classes really threw me for a loop. I know I couldn't do it, end quote. McConnell's situation is playing out all over the country. As, as the fall semester gets into full swing in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic, schools are noticing a concerning trend. Low-income students are the most likely to drop out or not enroll at all, raising fears that they might never get a college degree. Some 100,000 fewer high school seniors completed financial aid applications to attend college this year, according to a National College Attainment Network analysis, a free application for federal student aid, FAFSA, data through august yeah so you know 
the the lower end of our society. This is this is why we needed affordable health care, affordable college education, and also affordable health care. You know, that's just a given. But my point with it is that once you remove those financial barriers, you truly have a meritocracy, right? So once you remove those financial barriers, those people from those lower end, you know, those people in Tennessee, in West Virginia, I mean, not to generalize anything, but, you know, there's some areas where they just don't have access to those resources and they didn't have the, it's not even, you know, somebody could be gifted and be very educated and informed in a rural setting and they could have a real opportunity to go to college with some financial aid, whatever, you know, and make it work and go to college, get a degree and then actually get a better life. I mean, and you know, they don't even need a degree. Honestly, you can still make a good life without a degree. But, you know, this is just the world that we live in now where everybody is expected to get a degree, to go to college, to get a cubicle job. Uh, it's just like, that's just the way we're designed at this point. Our economy, our education system, but it's not built to uplift people like her, uh, McConnell, who was the first in her family to go to college, and now she has to drop out because she can't do online school because she doesn't have uh, proper access to Wi-Fi. And I find it funny that they were telling her that the McDonald's Wi-Fi isn't safe, but they're using like you know stuff like Zoom. It's just like you think this is safe? I never turn on my camera for those Zoom calls. I just never. I make excuses, but you know it's all taped up because I'm not no. So. Yeah, that's low-income uh, college students. That's what's uh, occurring. That's what's occurring, and they're just dropping out. You know, this is we're. Uh, I mean, best wishes to her, honestly. But it, you know, this is just another trend. I mean, again, I've been just sitting here, just like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Like, I might be one of. I don't know. This semester isn't over, honestly. So. You know, and, and yeah, I've told myself that I can't work in a restaurant and I can't work in retail. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> and it's not, and that, those aren't even sustainable, like, jobs. Like, they're just not. Like, you're not even guaranteed a full 40 hours and then you're getting paid at least, at the most, $9. In some restaurants, you're getting paid like $2.00 with tips so you're living off of tips and you're in the coronavirus pandemic so you know people aren't going really going to restaurants and i'm sure all the different guidelines now are different weird whatever it's just yeah but low-income people are just dropping out of college and what's also occurring is that young adults are moving back in with their parents at a record rate you know far more than they were under the Great Depression, I think like, I think 52% is what they said, uh, of young adults are moving back in with their parents uh, between 18 and 29. I'm lucky enough that I'm, that I still have a place over my head, but it has not been easy to keep it. It's just, it's really been messed up, honestly. 
and I wouldn't I wouldn't be as worried but then you know that motherfucker took my tent <laughs> somebody broke into my car and took my tent that I was going to use to camp out or just a bug out but now I have to get a new tent <laughs> so that's that's what happened to me but anyway you know young people are uh moving out moving in with their parents I mean who knows what the homelessness is going to become because some of these families you know the people the the millennials are moving in with their parents and their parents are certainly struggling financially so like entire families are facing homelessness that's not going to end well it's not going to end well i don't know what these politicians they got their head up their ass with the election and trying to maintain power and people are like really like they're on the verge of desperation and you know millions of people you you really don't know what's going to happen when that when people have nothing to lose truly truly nothing to lose they, everything got taken from taken but yes that is what's occurring there but I, I yeah that's just something that's occurring you know we also have you know specifically within California that I've talked about a it's just collapsing you know california is in the midst of a crisis but we've had wildfires all along the west coast really and the wildfires there unprecedented of course especially in the midwest or the pacific northwest i should say and because those areas are heavily wooded but now it's becoming drier so it's gonna bring about those fires far more intensely i mean now, sometimes I've looked at where whenever the sun is setting and, you know, it's red. It's like, you know, it, cause you know, it has all that smoke and soot from the, from the West. It's, it's eerie cause you're looking at a circle cause normally when you look at the sun, I mean, if you know, on a clear day, your eyes are going to, gonna, you're going to blind yourself, but that's the point, you know, it's, it's bright. But now that the sky is filled with soot and ash, you, you're looking at the sun and it doesn't have as much glare to it. So you can actually make out the circle and then it's like, you know, blood red. I mean, it's, it's yeah. So those fires are occurring there. And I also saw a picture from NASA, a satellite image that showed Hurricane Laura coming through Louisiana and it was intermingling with the smoke from the west coast. So you have one half of the country burning to the ground, and then another half getting flooded, hit with a hurricane. I mean, it's <laughs> we're, yeah, that's just where we're at right now. So I think God is really like, uh, fuck, fuck this place in particular. <laughs> but you know, this is happening all over the place. Actually, this is all over the world. So it was nothing special. We're nothing special. So, yeah, as I've mentioned, we've talked about the California farming, or I should say, we've talked about the wildfires burning to the ground, and I've also talked about uh, California in terms of the water resources and the water competitions. I mean, Northern California, you know, these other smaller counties having to contend with Los Angeles. I mean, the more I look at it, I'm just like, what is going on with California? That, well, truly, truly, 
like it's a trap. It's like you're you're in it and then you're stuck. Like fuck, I'm stuck in California. Like what? So another aspect that I talked about, as I said, with California uh, water resource competitions is a development with farming, right? And for in California is like a our breadbasket really. That's historically why it's, you know, huge. I mean, we get our wine from there. We get all sorts of vegetables and crops from there, California. And so a writer, you know, you know, activist, food activist uh, named Tom Philpot, he is mentioning uh, or he's trying to bring to light a, you know, you know, doomsday prophecy about farming in American in America, specifically in California. Uh, so he I mean, this is really going to be a crisis. As I've mentioned before, I'm certainly having to deal with climate change and such. Um, so I'm reading this from civileats.com. Quote, Tom Philpott is dogged in his pursuit of the truth about America's farms. In addition to spending several years working on a small organic farm in North Carolina, Philpott has been tracking the company's and other forces shaping the agricultural industry and their impact on the environment for a decade and a half. As a food writer for Grist, and then as the food and ag correspondent for Mother Jones since 2011, Fullpot has amassed a wealth of exacting knowledge and a healthy dose of skepticism about one of the nation's least transparent industries. In the process of writing his first book, Perilous Bounty, The Looming Collapse of American Farming and How We Can Prevent It, Philpott spent several years in visiting and amassing research about California's Central Valley and the Corn Belt, the two poles around the U.S. agricultural industry revolves around. The results are stunning and at times difficult to write. As he writes, the Central Valley and the former prairie lands of the Midwest are both in a state of palpable and accelerating ecological decline, he continues. At the moment, the effects are mostly felt by the workers who make the farms, grows, and feedlots hum, and who are subjected to increasingly tough conditions. In addition to the baseline rigors of their job, they endure fouled water, putrid air, and the decay of public services that accompany a declining population. But while their plight is easy for Americans to ignore, there's something else afoot in these regions that will affect every U.S. resident who eats to grow our food, I argue in this book, the agribusiness interests that dominate the Central Valley and the Corn Belt are also actively consuming the ecological foundations that support agriculture itself. Civil Eats talked with Philpott about water, soil, his apprehensions about technological fixes in the food system, and the pivotal role of policy when it comes to reversing the course of environmental destruction in farm country. End quote. Right. So he's talking about these companies, the agribusiness, the industries, uh, and the damage that they do, you know, just ecologically, certainly with pesticides. I mean, a lot of these farms, they, it, it just completely messes the ecosystem because it's unnatural. It's all planned and it's not supposed to be there. So a lot of, you know, farm animals go out, or I shouldn't say farm animals, a lot of these wild animals like deer or they just go out and these lands that they've used as pastures in the past are gone because there's just corn everywhere and they can't eat corn 
So they have to go to another location and they eat that grass and there may have been another herd of say antelope or bison. Well, now they can't use those pastures like, or, you know, so it just throws everything out of loop. And then we have also like some animals becoming overpopulated, such as wild pigs. I don't know what the problem with pigs are in like say California or the Midwest, but you know, yeah, it, it becomes a problem because they're drawn to that. And so that's also going to affect the ecosystem in ways that have unforeseen consequences. I mean, that's just the problem with our, you know, mass planned agribusiness. You know, uh, the farmers, the the age, you know, of farmers, you know, increases. And so that means that, you know, the new generation isn't learning to farm. That's why, you know, I've tried to push gardening for people to do in their yards. But, you know, they're who 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 wants to make their own food when they can just get it at a store, right? Not thinking like, where does this food come from? And this isn't going to last forever. You know, like we had that scare early on with the stores and the panic. Now that happened very quickly and that can happen again. And it is going to happen again. And as we're seeing here, he's saying that there's a food crisis, a farming crisis that's on the horizon. And, you know, he's pointing to environmental activity and our, you know, damage that we've done to, uh, based on our farming practices, you know, and that's only going to get worse, of course, with climate change and increasing uh, resources, or I should say in increasing activity, climate change, and global warming. Another factor as well is topsoil fertility. That is also going to be another issue. I mean, it's just... It's a real wonder how everything is just going wrong, even with food, like uh, just farming, like, wow, it's just, there's so much, there's a lot. As I said, collapse is just another umbrella, yeah, so that is happening there, but yeah, so American farming collapsing, uh, especially in California, and I also want to talk about what these wildfires Another aspect that's occurring with the Pacific Northwest. So I'm learning now that it's highly polarized, right? And I probably should have learned it early on or earlier. But, you know, it's especially becoming more obvious now. Because you have, like, these cities like Seattle and Portland. Heavily liberal, uh, anarcho headquarters, whatever, Antifa. But those are mainly, like, strongholds of liberalism. Because then you see in the cities, and, and or I should say in the country... It's far more conservative and uh, far more nationalistic and definitely, you know, proud boy, proud boy, uh, you know, types. And so what's been occurring with these fires now is because when people having to evacuate in Oregon and Washington, they're having uh, militias come out now because there's allegations that Antifa and BLM are starting the fires, you know, and look. It very well may be that there could be somebody setting fires. I mean, there are arson attacks that occur. Our arsonists just like to watch things burn. You know, they may not be Antifa, but it could be very easy for somebody to be like, oh, that guy's Antifa, when he's just a guy that likes to watch things burn. Things burn. So, who knows? I did see another video where there was a person apparently smoking, and... A lady, you know, got out of her car, you know, did a citizen's arrest. Who knows? But at the same time, like, when you're 
there's an obvious burn ban and everybody's like worried about fires and you're out in public smoking probably you know you know should put that out <laughs> not in the ground somewhere responsibly i mean who knows it's just yeah but i've also read about another situation where there was a uh, a hillbilly brigade right where people got in their bulldozers construction workers they uh tried their best to create like a you know to save their town you know just to move some brush and uh, create what they call like a i guess defensive space so it's just ground that doesn't that isn't going to burn so they can protect their hometown which is cool that you know some people came together like that and i was also reading about another I, or I shouldn't say reading. I just watched a short clip about a uh, California state senator candidate, uh, this native woman, a woman of native descent, a who was talking about some native practices of prescribed fires. So that was something that was done in the past that was used to clear out brush, but they were doing specific pockets. So, you know, they would be able to be in control of it. So, Instead of these massive wildfires that just kills everything, you have small pockets of burns uh, in specific locations, and that clears out the brush. Because, you know, you had Trump saying about, like, oh, well, there's not enough rakes. You know, it, that's another, you know, thing, you know, removing fuel from the ground. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of different methods that can be taken into account. So that's just something to look out for. But, right, we have our collapse that's occurring in the united states and without a doubt there are other countries that are looking at us kind of hoping for a civil war to break out in this country and this is a report from daily beast and yeah i guess we can take it with a grain of salt but you know it is certainly something that you know it's not out of the question that people are specifically like putin or uh you know xi jinping that are kind of like just waiting for something to happen. And maybe we're pushing us towards actively, you know, disinformation and, you know, active, you know, subversion. So, yeah. So what they say, um, Russian media is rooting for civil war in America. Quote, the worse, the better. Um, and so reading onward, there is no shortage of lo there's no shortage of local topics that interest the Kremlin. From the poisoning of in an inconvenient dissident to the events in neighboring Belarus and the ongoing battle against the coronavirus, in the thick of all of it, America remains front and center in of the Russian state media steely focus. In Putin's Russia, U.S. Donald J. Trump rallies, events, and press comments are viewed and reported with maniacal obsession. Russian state media happily poked fun at the Trump campaign's use of a stock photo of Russian-made fighter jets. But aside from an occasional jab, Moscow's coverage of the presidency closely resembles that of Fox News. State-controlled media slant is a telling indicator of the Kremlin's leaning. To imagine the relationship between Russian President Vladimir Putin and his massive media apparatus, one may reference the coziness between Sean Hannity and Trump and magnify that intensity tenfold, directives flowing only from the top down obsessed with retaining his dominance and fully realizing the power of propaganda, Putin leaves nothing to chance. Russian law Russian lawmakers, state media experts, and pundits on tightly choreographed TV shows openly revealed that the Kremlin is still rooting for Trump, 
but Moscow has a growing concern that this time around, their preferred candidate might lose. Appearing on a state TV show, The Right to Know, Margarita Simonyan, the editor-in-chief of the Kremlin-funded propaganda networks RT and Sputnik, said about Trump's chances of re-election, I think Trump will lose, but then I think there will be a major blow up from the standpoint of accepting or not accepting the outcome of the election. They'll be battling over that for a long time. Who knows how it might end? Having openly wished for Trump to drive the United States into civil war, Russian state media figures are now relishing the idea with renewed enthusiasm. They believe it would destabilize America to such an extent as to undermine its very sovereignty, thereby untying the Kremlin's hands to wreak even more havoc upon the Western world. Appearing on Russia's state TV show, The Evening with Vladimir Soloviev, analyst Dmitry Drobnitsky explained his beliefs that U.S. elections, quote, can be considered America's internal affairs only up to the point when an actual civil war starts there. The, end quote, the idea of a coup d'etat seems all but inevitable, Drobnitsky argued. The loser in this election would be an idiot to accept the outcome, end quote. So that was quite a read. But yeah, if a civil war breaks out in the United States, we're going to be more focused on our internal affairs and Russia could certainly push their weight around even more. And so certainly can China. So that's the one thing that I can't support the left on right now because... They want to burn the system down and destabilize things, and they're not looking at the greater picture. And in fact, what might be occurring is that the true leaders of the movement, if there are any, know this. And as you know, we've talked about, you know, like a Marxist, true Marxist communist uprising. Because look, I you know I talk about socialism, this and that. You know, I I like being provocative. But I, I I don't support Marxism whatsoever, and I'm not. China cannot win whatsoever. And if a civil war breaks out, that gives them a leg up. So <laughs> yeah, because I talked to some people, and I'm very concerned about them, because like there are some people that I know on the left who are seething at the mouth for for blood and it's like what is up with like i don't actually want to guillotine people you know like i put that i i put that out there as like a message like these guys are crazy they want to do this like for real (laughs) but i don't support that you know i don't support it and you know the ruling class needs to be checked of course but they can't you know they can't purge you can't purge it it's just, you know, people need to know the responsibilities that they have in their social hierarchy, if you want to say it, right? So if you're somebody who is in a position of wealth, you're in a position of power. So you can either be self-serving or do what you can to create a network that, you know, provides for people. I mean, that's something to consider, but you know, we're a society that values profit over everything. So when you value profit, of course, you're not going to be altruistic. So that's just, you know, it's just greediness. That's what it is. You know, that's always the downfall of a society. Greed and selfishness, right? Entitlement. Uh, 
I mean, people will argue that it's that mentality with healthcare, universal healthcare. That's something else because, you know, it's just unacceptable that we have medical debt like this. It's, it's unacceptable. I'm sorry. Like, you know, having your, your healthcare tied to your employment, that's just, I don't know why that's a thing, man. I'm sorry. That's just, I mean, okay, I know why it's a thing, but when people rationalize it, I'm just like, you are so full of shit. Like, I, I can't take you seriously if that's what you're doing, if that's what you're telling me. Anyway, I mean, I'm full of shit, right? But that's just something else, you know. But yeah, so Russian media is definitely, you know, wanting us to go into a war. And we have all this madness that's going on. I mean, we just had um, actually in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This was kind of quiet with the news right now. But there was rioting and protesting in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There was a shooting of a black man. Um, and they're saying that he was armed with a knife. Whether he was charging the police or holding it, I don't know. But, you know, at this rate, like, if you're somebody who's going to be dealing with the police, you know you have a weapon on you, just throw it to the ground. Like, then again, you know, somebody could be mentally disturbed or they want suicide by cop. So there are those situations where, you know, they're just in the panic mode, right? And they freeze up and they still have the weapon in their hand. Or they're just, they want to end it all. So they charge a cop knowing that the cop has to shoot. So anyway, this is, yeah, it's definitely a mental health issue that we need to look at. But I don't know if that was this case. And I don't, you know, I, I yeah. But regardless, you know, it's just this pattern of a police shooting occurring and it's always a black man. I never see this happening when they when they wrongfully shoot a white guy. Like I'm, it, it it's a shame now that I'm in the position where I just have to defend white people. Like wait a minute, like this is you know like it's ridiculous. It, it's not so. But you know I I mean I don't equate police with white people in that sense. But you know you know the police injustice happens to everybody and it's portrayed as a race thing and in the past definitely was a race thing but it was certainly also a class thing um and that's the design of the police in the first place you know it's about class suppression uh well it it's being used right now as class suppression it should be used to you know safeguard society and deal with criminals but hey you know that's just another thing entirely so yeah we had lancaster pennsylvania riots because people were upset at the shooting of a black man who had a weapon on him. Those details of whether he was like... I have, I don't know if they had body cam footage of it. I mean, you know, I don't even watch that at this point, body cam footage. It's just like, it's just too sad. Like, you know, I, I try not to... I don't like watching videos of people getting shot like that, you know. It's poor. Or she getting shot at all. But I have seen intense combat footage. I don't know why. I can watch combat footage like like nothing like it does nothing to me but moments like intimate it's too intimate that's what it is moments like that where it's just a cop trying to give instructions and you can hear in his voice that he doesn't want to do this 
you know, he actually wants to work with the guy. I don't know, not in this specific situation, but there's but there's some videos of that where you see you you can actually see the cop is trying to work, but this is a person who is, you know, mentally disturbed and wants to get shot or you know just not following orders, and then it just escalates from there. So, you know, I guess we're just not at a point where we can non-lethally take down somebody. I mean, tasers, tasers can only do so much, <sighs> but. I don't know. I feel like I've been certainly taking like a, a red pill with this stuff because you know, if people, you know, if you listen to my earlier episodes, I'm sure I sound like a, a radical left wing person, and you know, I certainly am left leaning in a lot of sense. But yeah, you know, what you're seeing now is people attacking the police and saying we need to get rid of them, and not realizing what that's going to do especially in these big cities. That's one thing I like about Texas. We're not, they're not going to accept that. You know, they're not going to accept that at all. So that's one thing I can live with. But they're just, you know, we were focusing on the police. But look, the police, their job is to enforce the law. So the problem is our laws. And who passes our laws? Who creates our laws? The politicians. You know, I had that realization the other day when I was driving and I'm like, Oh my God. Like I was just like, we got played. We're getting played. Dude. So many people re- are going to realize that they got played and these politicians, they're going to be the first to get on the dinner menu. Um, because honestly, the politics, the, the police, like if it gets bad enough, they'll just leave. Like it, again, especially in cities. I mean, they did, they were doing it in Atlanta, Atlanta and Seattle. They're definitely going to, start retiring New York all these big cities where they're under attack these cops are gonna leave and they're gonna go to areas where they're accepted like welcome <laughs> like Texas Texas will certainly keep their police force intact that's not going anywhere but it's the laws and we in our politicians especially democratic politicians you know they're gonna turn around and they're gonna p- place blame on Others, I guess. I mean, that's probably just what's easier for them to do. Especially in these big cities. Like, you know, you look at Chicago. You know, because that's been under Democratic control for decades. And it's, it sucks. <laughs> I haven't been there, I should say. I shouldn't say, you know, I do need to check it out. Because I was born there, actually, in Chicago. But I'm hearing all these stories from Chicago native people and... I'm just like, I don't know how I would have grown up there. I would have been a completely different person if I had grown up in that environment, you know? So anyway, that's the, uh, and you know, and also I brought up the Lancaster, Pennsylvania situation because it's just, again, another trend that I'm noticing of these civil disturbances, civil unrest situations occurring in these cities or small towns, I should say. And that's something that I'm worried about, especially where I'm at. Because it's not, it, it can very easily happen here with a a shooting. Because we have a college, like we're, and people are at the courthouse like almost every weekend now protesting either it's BLM, anti racist stuff, or a counter. It's not that they're at the same time, but I hope it doesn't reach to that point. I think maybe because the locals realize that they're just kids, so it just isn't worth the time. But at the same time, 
you know, if the college kids start trying to act a fool in the streets, uh, it's gonna, it's not gonna end well. That's all I gotta say. But it's not even that too, because I'm just worried about gang activity as well. And as I said before, there's a lot of police and National Guard out here, so it would take a lot for them to lose control. But it's not out of the question, you know? So it's just it's something that I have to look out for. But that's just where I'm at here, you know? It'd probably be better just to bug in. So what I do need to get is more water reserve, more uh, water storage. Because I certainly have plenty of food. But yeah, that's just something that I have to look for. Not look forward to, I should say, but just look out for. But, yeah. Moving on. So, that's our domestic situation. It's pretty, yeah, keeping a close eye on. But, you know, domestically, we're just in a tight spot. But, I wanted to talk about a... Or, I should say, I want to talk about the natural sec- the natural world, um, about the environment... Our wildlife. I mean, if you're an environmental science person, you you already know it's bad news all the way down. You know, turtles all the way down. But no, it's it, it's just one thing after another. Just like wow, like so. What's been released now? The UN has released a report saying that not a single conservation goal has been met, and that. In the last 13 years, the world wilderness the size of Mexico has been lost worldwide. And so I'm reading this from The Guardian. Researchers say loss of 1.9 million square kilometers of intact ecosystems will have profound implications for biodiversity. Wilderness across the planet is disappearing on a huge scale, according to a new study that found human activities had converted an area the size of Mexico from virtually intact natural landscapes to heavily modified modified ones in just 13 years. The loss of 1.9 square kilometers of intact ecosystems would have profound implications for the planet's biodiversity, the, study, the study's authors said. Using mostly satellite imagery, 17 scientists across six countries examined the human footprint across the globe and how it has changed from 2000 to 2013. Almost 20% of the Earth's surface has deteriorated, the study found, while human pressure has had eased on only 6% of the planet. Uh, Russia, Canada, Brazil, and Australia held the largest intact areas, together responsible for 60% of the world's most untouched places. So, yeah, that UN reports you know, based on like satellite imagery is also finding that, you know, we haven't met a single goal. Um, we've continued to expand and, you know, it's just going to have implications for, as I said, biodiversity, uh, you know, deforestation, certainly with climate change. So entire areas are becoming more, uh, I guess they're just changing, right? And also, you know, not even just with the environmental effects. I mean, we have our poaching, overfishing, overhunting, um, pollution. So that has other effects as well. 
But yeah, all these different areas in the world are losing slowly their wildlife and their wilderness and humans keep expanding. You know, not even settlements, just our activity. As I said, you know, in Brazil, deforestation. So now there's entire areas that are just dead. dead. This is dead, dead land, death, um, dead trees everywhere. It's, it's, you know, it's terrible. But that's what's happening there. But, you know, we have that to look out for. The size of Mexico in just 13 years. And, I mean, that's only going to accelerate. And it's been accelerating but that's uh, at least something to look out for. But, you know, as I said, also, there are still areas that are completely untouched from human activity in Russia, Brazil, Canada, uh, mainly because those conditions can't support human life. But, or, you know, human life, industrial, organized, I mean, it just hasn't been touched yet. So, you know, that's at least something to look forward to. Like, any, like places that have no human activity or like prized possessions. But unless there's some resource in the ground, like oil or gold, like there's nothing really for them to look for. So I also wanted to talk about, um, it's kind of related with the US, but a uh, update with um, a uh, agency, science agency for the US. So the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, has hired a climate change denialist to a senior position, and they're, it's a sign that you know Trump is trying to gain more control of these uh, agencies. Yeah, so I'm reading this from ScienceMag.org. So David Legate, or Legates, I should say, a geography professor at the University of Delaware has a long history of questioning fundamental climate science and has suggested that an outcome of burning fossil fuels would be a more more habitable planet for humans. So not only is he a climate denialist, he's an accelerationist. Oh. Oh. Uh. I'm sorry, I just needed a moment for that. But, oh, he's an accelerationist. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, I mean, we did find signs of, uh, possible signs of life on Venus. So, maybe that's where he's getting it from. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, he has hired, he was hired as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Observation and Prediction. According to a report by NPR, the move marks an, ex- an escalation within the Trump administration to undermine the agency's ability to warn the public of climate risks, observers said. Wow. Oh, this is why I don't like Trump. And you saw the other conference where he was talking and he's saying, or they're talking about the West Coast fires, and all the people are saying, well, you know, this is an effect of climate change, but yada, yada. And then he says, well, it'll get cooler. And they're just like, the science doesn't point to that. I wish the science, I mean, you, yeah. And he's just like, the science doesn't know. I'm just, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, fucking boomers. <laughs> Everything that's happening now is a consequence of their generation's inaction. 
and it wasn't it's not it wasn't a secret like this stuff has been pretty well known it's just denial they're in denial because they realize the only way to stop this truly stop it is to throw away this wasteful lifestyle this industrial lifestyle and they don't want to do that <laughs> oh my goodness i'm just I, that caught me off guard because when they say climate change denialists, oh, it's just, and you know, I I should read these articles beforehand, but I certainly like, you know, just, you know, having this reaction of just like, what? <laughs> but more habitable planet for humans, fossil, burning of fossil fuels will create a more habitable planet for humans. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, but enough of that. I'm just, wow. Noah, you know, that, you know, the... But that's what they're going to do. They're going to keep hiring these experts and officials that are paid off by these industries and you know, corporations, so that can they can justify. Well, you see, it's not this environmental effect. You know, in fact, it's never been better. There's never there's been more polar bears than ever. What are you talking about? Um, but what's happening also is that so this is what they're doing. They're they're saying that it's not happening. There's no extinction event. There's no climate change occurring. But there's going to come a point where you can't deny it anymore. You can't deny it anymore. And so what's occurring now is that biologists warn, uh, reading from uh, mangabay.com, uh, biologists warn of extinction denial, and it will become the latest anti-conspiracy or anti-science conspiracy theory. So, so they're going to deny, they're denying that climate change is occurring that things are going south for biodiversity and for the health of the planet they're in complete denial about that or they're getting paid to to say that it's not happening and now they're denying what's going to happen is okay they're, they're denying that they're that the animals are going extinct and that they're dying off and here's what's going to happen here's what's going to escalate to a little prediction they're going to completely deny that these animals ever existed and they're going to erase any kind of mention or memory of, say, elephants or gorillas or, you know, just all, all these different animals that are dead. Because, what's the point? They're dead. <laughs> so, but, you know, you can't acknowledge that there was ever an extinction event. You know, how can something be extinct if it never existed, right? And then, the, the, it, dude... That will be a nightmare dystopia when that happens, when they start denying any race, like 1984 level, honestly. So, um, okay, so reading, right, quote Mangabe, uh, there's a growing refusal by some groups to acknowledge the ongoing global extinction crisis being driven by human actions, conservation scientists say. These views are pushed by many of the same people who are who also downplay the impacts of climate change and go against the actual evidence of widespread species, population declines, and recent extinctions. Scientists say this phenomenon will likely spike again this week since a major convention of biological diversity report is due to be released. The authors of a new report on extinction denial advise experts to proactively challenge its occurrence and present the cold hard, excuse me, and present the cold hard scientific facts. Quote, um, continuing, 
Biodiversity scientists are being urged to fight the creeping rise of extinction denial that has spread from fringe blogs to influential media outlets and even into a U.S. congressional hearing. The call to arms came in the paper published in Nature Ecology and Evolution last science, or excuse me, last month by Alexander Lees, a senior lecturer in conservation biology at Manchester Metropolitan University and colleagues. Quote, Many of the same individuals that routinely seek to downplay the impacts of climate change have written articles understating the biodiversity loss crisis, Lees says. Denialists have sought to obfuscate, excuse me, have sought to obfuscate, I can't even say that, sorry, the magnitude of both extinctions and loss of bioabundance, end quote. So, yeah, they're just completely denying that these animals are dying off, that are, we're losing our wildlife and our biodiversity, and people buy it up. People, people don't question it. They're just, yeah, all right, everything's fine. I'm just, I've learned that I'm incredibly lucky that I've had such a close connection to nature growing up. Uh, especially with animals because like there are moments where like I see an animal and people don't know how to behave around it because it's just like they never grew up with that they don't learn the social cues of animals and their body language because honestly it's not that hard to read an animal because they just naturally want you to leave them alone like especially like a dog like people are really afraid of dogs like even like a middle little size one, you just gotta read them because you know it's very it's very easy to gain their trust if you were actually nice and good to good to them. Uh, but you know that's beside the point. But you know stuff like this because people are gonna are denying extinction denial, and now or they're denying the mass extinction event that's occurring, and as I said, they're gonna soon just deny that these animals ever existed. So they will just—they just won't teach about it. Uh, it's insane. It's insane, and I'm sure these are the same people who they believe. Oh well, the bones of dinosaurs is a test of faith. You know, and you know, I don't mean to be offensive to religious people, but it's there's a lot to do with that creationist you know aspect of. Well, you see, you know, dinosaurs live together. It's just, I don't understand how anybody can be anti-science and proud. It's like, oh, I'm anti-breathing. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Like, <laughs> like, excuse me? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, people are just in denial and detached from reality. Because only a person who has no grasp on reality would listen to a person so-called expert and be like this guy knows what he's talking about <laughs> wow i'm just yeah um so also wanted to speak about because you know we've said about our wilderness it's uh shrinking and uh we've talked we can also talk about in europe uh you know a land of ancient force um now reports coming out that they're in a perilous state and that they need help so reading from the independent um, a new assessment of Europe's remaining old-growth forests, the pocket of undisturbed ancient woodlands where humans 
have had minimal impact reveals that they are in a perilous state and lack proper protections. Scientists from 28 institutions have gathered data and detailed mapping over five years in order to assess the conservation status of these primary forests in Europe uh, and found many of them continue to be logged. The research paper describes primary forests as being composed of native species where signs of past use are minimal and ecological processes such as natural disturbances operate dynamically and with little impairment by anthropogenic influences. They are critical for conserving forest biodiversity and pro provide important ecosystem services such as carbon storage and network natural watercourse management which can help maintain resilient environments. So these woodlands that have you know been standing for thousands of years with minimal human activity are under threat from human activity, logging, certainly climate change. And also, you know, Europe is one of those areas that has been like ecologically decimated. I mean, humans have been developing that region for thousands of years. So, you know, those small pockets of wilderness are heavily, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say diversified, but just, well, I mean, not diversified, the opposite. They're, they're heavily, uh, I would say modified human wise, you know, it's not, it's not natural, you know, it's certainly maintained and monitored with, by humans. I, I know in England, they have professional hunters or government hunters who go out to deal with the deer populations and such. And I'm sure it happens in other places, but it, it's not the same place because Europe once had lions and rhinos and elephants. And I mean, those died out because of the end of the ice age, but you know, it was a true wilderness at one point, and then humanity just kind of, you know, took over, right? But that's something that's happening there, and these are, right, as I said, as they said, uh, areas that allow for resilient ecosystems that deal with uh, water course management, and you know, again, it's all a cycle, and so once the trees start going out, and you know, there's already biodiversity loss. That's, I mean. People don't realize that this is going to have a huge economic effect eventually. It's going to come back to bite us hard, and we probably won't be able to recover from it. But that's in Europe, another spot where people are, are you know, noting scientists are, you know, trying to sound the alarm about uh, the loss of wilderness. So we have that uh, happening. And so what I also wanted to talk about because um, I've mentioned about the West Coast fires that are occurring, pretty bad situation. But I also want to talk about just fires in general worldwide because it's uh, you know, something to look at. So I'm using the NASA Earth observation observations, and it's a map of active fires. And so I have it from the last month for October 2020. And so I'm looking at this map. And I'm seeing that areas such as Brazil, the Amazon, are bright red or orange, uh, signifying that there's been fires escalating in the last month. And I mean, we're, we're talking about fires happening in the West Coast. But now I look at the West Coast, and it's still like it's bright, but it's not as bright as places like in Brazil or um, in Argentina as well. Or 
yeah, just fires breaking out in South America. And then also fires breaking out in uh, Africa. That's uh, something that's been overlooked as well. And also in Africa, we've had uh, flooding. I'll talk about a little bit more. But yeah, so we have fires breaking out in South America and Africa. And also fires in Siberia and in Europe. And soon enough, we're going to have fires in Australia, without a doubt. Because now their summer is starting to kick up. And it's going to get bad. I mean, because, you know, they lost billions of animals in the last fire. So their ecosystem has been decimated. And I think that's what these fires do. They just burn through and decimate the ecosystem. And, you know, you might have the plant life that grows back because some plants need that fire to help them grow you know, or fertilize the soil. They're specifically evolved for it. Um, but, you know, places like... Uh, the Amazon, they're worried that it's going to increasingly turn into a savanna, uh, which could have dire consequences for like our oxygen production. But that also comes from phytoplankton, and then we can talk about ocean acidification, but we're not on that right now. So active fires breaking out in 2020, a bit all over the place, but that's just something to look out for. And I also talked about uh, floods occurring in Africa, record level floods. And so what's been noted uh, coming from the Telegraph is that the Nile River is so high right now that it's threatening Sudan's uh, ancient pyramids. And these are regions that are that they don't experience rain as much. So a lot of their homes are made out of mud. You know, they, they have this mud and they... So... Imagine you're getting rained out to the point where your house is turning into, because it's, you know, it's dirt, but then it's just turning into mud and you don't have a home anymore, right? There's some, I think also there was um, some flooding that occurred in Yemen and they have like really ancient cities that have been around since like BC times and they're getting flooded out and their homes are just collapsing because it's made out of like dirt and bricks, you know, yeah, mud. Anyway, so reading from the Telegraph, quote, as forest fires burn or as forest fires turn California skies in apocalyptic red, vast swaths of Africa are being submerged by once in a lifetime floods from Ethiopia and Sudan to Nigeria and Senegal. Torrential rains have displaced well over a million people and are threatening already vulnerable food supplies. In Ethiopia, over 500,000 people have been affected after several rivers including the Blue Nile, broke their banks. Some people recorded the heaviest rains in a century, according to Seleshi Bekele, Ethiopia's water and irrigation minister. Officials say the flood the floods have killed animals and destroyed homes and crops in a in a way not seen in decades. About 200,000 people have been left homeless in at least five of Ethiopia's ten regions, said Mr. Bekele. Downriver, the devastation in Sudan is immense. Earlier this month, the rains destroyed over 100,000 homes, killing more than nine or killing more than 100 people. So, yeah, the river, I mean, they're just getting record flooding, record rain, precipitation, and that's something that they're not ready for. Flooding, uh, homelessness, it's going to affect the crops as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's just... Again, you're going to have extreme heat, 
extreme heat, extreme drought, extreme fires, and then on the flip side, extreme flooding, extreme rain, extreme hurricanes. I mean, we have run out of names for our hurricane season, and now we're using the Greek alphabet. So, as I said, I mean, we had uh, Hurricane Sally that came through, and I hit uh, the panhandle for Florida, Alabama, and such, and... You know, that wasn't so much with the wind damage, but it was certainly coastal flooding and a lot of activity there, storm surge. So they had to deal with that. And now we have a tropical storm beta uh, hitting us at the moment. And what I noticed about beta is that it formed in the Gulf. But not like deep in the Gulf, like right next to the Caribbean. Like it was right off of the coast of Mexico. So, I mean, I'm no meteorologist. But when I was growing up, I remember hearing or being told that storms primarily formed out of the coast of, off the coast of Africa and that West Coast area. But now we're seeing more and more storms occur in the Gulf. And it's due in part uh, due to weather patterns. Well, I should say, of course, weather patterns, but the, the warming oceans. So actually, let me look at sea temperatures in the Atlantic. So I have this app where I can look at sea temperatures and, you know, they have it in degrees Celsius. And the Gulf Coast is orange at about like 30, 31 degrees Celsius, which is pretty warm. It's very warm waters, and that's certainly prime for uh, storms to break out, but I mean, we're going to see how far this hurricane season goes, but as I said, it could very easily, I mean, it is, it will go into October, who knows about November, but yeah, we have tropical storm beta here that's bringing some rain right now in my area. It's just cloudy, but I'm just keeping an eye on the, uh, the radar because I see these bands and yeah, I don't know exactly where it's going to go. It could be that the storm is going to stagnate. So in the next couple of days, we could see some rain in Houston. So who knows what that's going to bring? Because uh, they're just susceptible to flooding. And a tropical storm like this can drop a lot of rain. It really could. So we'll have to see. But that's just something to... Yeah, something to look forward to. So... That is the natural segment that we got. And that's just some stuff that I wanted to talk about. But before I wrap up, I didn't want to have some words that I want to talk about. Because this is at least an outlet for me to speak on some things. And it's better for me to bring it out here than to like talk to regular people with. This isn't me talking to me about them. But this is more just like a thing that I'm noticing. Right? I'm noticing... That increasingly more and more people are becoming detached from reality. And of course, that's just a given. But it's going to become a problem because reality is going to smack them in the face and they're going to have a breakdown. And that's not going to be a pretty thing. There's, I already have a list of people who I know I don't want to be stuck with during the apocalypse. I, I just, I love them. I think they're great people, but I don't think they're equipped for what's coming mentally. And I don't want to be stuck with them. 
And, you know, if they're listening to this, I mean, again, I'll never, I'm not going to reveal who, who they are, but I'm just like, I just already know, like, and you can easily tell, I mean, if you're somebody who's having issues and I mean, I'm not saying I'm not without my issues, but just like, it's just, you just know that this is not a person that you want to be stuck around when they're hungry, when they're sleep deprived. This is not somebody you want to be around, you know? So yeah. So I was talking to somebody and I was mentioning, we we're mentioning about the forest fires and he was like, yeah, you know, recently I've been thinking about getting a gun and stocking up on food. And I'm just like, hmm. Uh, and, and I'm just like, yeah, you, that something is telling you to do that. Right. Cause things are getting really serious. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's weird. And then I was also mentioning about the forest fires and the wildfires and the election problems that we're going to have. And this guy was having a mini crisis and I, I like, I had to like get him out of it. I was just like, well, cause like I had to like, I realized that like, okay, I'm going, I think I'm going too deep in this, but th there's just some people that when they're hearing the bad news, because I guess that he was just sucked in his own work and I, he, he has a lot on his plate, honestly. It's, so I can't blame him, but it, it's just like, you know, I can't really pity somebody who isn't paying attention. I really can't. Um, because you, you have to equip yourself with knowledge and information, even if it's uh, terrible. So, yeah, almost had a mini crisis. And I, I don't know, man, like I, I, at this rate, like if you can't really see that things are going south, I, I don't know what to do for you. But there's that. So there's that where people are going to have mini crisis. And then there's other people that you know, people, close people of mine that, you know, I'm trying to look out for, I want to look out for them, but I don't want to tell them what to do, but I just, you know, I put these ideas, you know, just out there. And, you know, a friend of mine recently moved into the city, which I had been preaching all over the place, not to go anywhere near city. Not that, I mean, it's not, this is a person who usually listens to what I say and I've never told him directly. But when I went to go visit them, you know, trying to get a lay of the area, it's not a bad spot. It's very obviously gentrified because there's some like wooden rundown places that were clearly, you know, held on to from the last people. So it's just like you, you're seeing these, you know, yuppie, you know, brunch spots. And then right next to it, there's like a wooden building, a uh, wooden house from the 50s that's rundown that people wouldn't able, weren't able to sell. So I'm just like, okay, this is the type of error that we're at. And then this person has also told me that their roommate almost got carjacked and that people broke into their car and stole their laptop or well, I should say textbooks. So I'm just like, okay, like this is an area. Okay. I've been saying like, I have to circle back. Like, okay. So I've been saying not to go near the city because it's, uh, crime ridden and dangerous and then you move to a city like smack dab in the middle and already you're you know getting harassed by crackheads by robbers like <laughs> shock pikachu face what <laughs> like 
and again, you know, it's not that people have it coming to them. Nobody deserves that, but it's just like you're you're clearly not paying attention. You're not paying attention. And then I'm in this place and like my mind now is just wandering to like what are the supplies? What did they got? And they'd had no water. So they're like that, that's another thing too. When I go to somebody's place and you were you make me drink tap water, like my respect dives immediately like are you fucking like you, you don't have just a tank a water tank again i can't blame them because i guess some people just don't know but it's like come on you tap water really <laughs> i sounds like such a fucking uh, hipster like that but i'm just like but I, I i realized that like if this person had to bug in they are not gonna last three days like because if they're if they're still gonna have running water, which you know once that's gonna go away pretty quickly, honestly. But I'm just like, and I can't say anything. I said, you know, hey, maybe you should get a gun if you're gonna stay here. And they're just like, how like like how dare you bring that up? How dare you bring up buying a gun, living in the middle of a city as the economy collapses and crime is rising? How dare you, you know? Especially in Texas, where you just need a background check and you're done. How, how dare you mention owning a gun? <laughs> just like, oh my god. So, I mean, not that they said that directly, but that was just, that was the sentiment of the response. Like, no, I'm not going to waste my money like that. It's just like, how how dare you? <laughs> and this, I just, I don't know, man. This is a person who talked about buying a gun before me. So, I don't know where that change happened or suddenly they're above buying the gun but anyway it's not for everybody i guess people because it would force them to acknowledge that things are getting bad that's really what it is and that's why they're act some people act high and mighty like huh, you think the world is ending what makes you believe that <laughs> it's just like okay you're in another world so that's the happening there but so i'm noticing that where People are increasingly detached from reality and don't know what they're seeing or they just they lie to themselves about what they're seeing. And then I'm also noticing a dynamic that's occurring with relationships. And so, you know, I should be upfront, you know, I haven't had the most success with dating. Actually, no success whatsoever. <laughs> but I blame that, you know, I don't blame women, of course. You know, I don't it's I, and I don't, I mean, I love women. That's why I try to date them. But I guess it's just this society and the expectations that we have for young men that I just, I wasn't equipped for it. You know, I guess I was also very timid because, you know, women like alpha males and assertive men. And, you know, I've had to learn that that's just the fact of life. And that's something that I have to build myself towards, uh, because I've been in moments where, like, I've had a good relationship with somebody, or, I, I mean, a good friendship, I, I mean. But then, when I try to escalate that, I I just, I guess I turned into a simp. Because I was just like, because I didn't want to do the wrong thing. I was so worried. I didn't want to make her uncomfortable. And it, and the girls notice that when you're like, uh, uh, like, and that's something that, I still kind of do today. So it's just something that I have to figure out. But another thing too, because 
you know, I've been listening to on YouTube Better Bachelor. He's a, I like him a lot. He, he's I feel like listening to him, I'm discovering this ancient knowledge that has been lost, and I'm just like, you know, like the Ark of the Covenant, and just like oh, but it's I, I finally. And it should have been obvious. I don't know why I've never been told this by anybody in my personal life. Why I have to turn to strangers on the internet. But, yeah, women just don't date down. They don't date down. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Because, yeah, we we see statistically that women do graduate more than men. And are more likely to get hired than men, honestly. And... If women start, like, she could be making six figures and she still wants a guy who makes more than her. Like, at a certain point, it's just what? And I'm not saying I've ever been in that position because I have many flaws, right? But at the same time, like, you know, there's some women that, like, your mere existence is almost an insult to them. If you're walking and minding your own business and then there's an attractive woman, like, you I like I'll go out of my way to avoid them and to ignore them, and even then it's like they're just like, how dare you walk in my presence? It's like what is, what? Like, like I'm actively I actively want to leave you alone. Like that's my thing. There are guys that when they see a, a attractive woman, they kind of puff their chest, they walk a bit differently, they're trying to get their attention. I'm just like get the fuck away from me, and it's not them. It's merely just like. I don't like I I want you to feel as comfortable as possible so I'll leave you alone and I'm going to do my business go about my business but I don't know that's the way I've behaved in the past and I do need to change that I cuz for the most part like I just don't care like uh but <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like this but what I mean about like relationship dynamics is that what I'm seeing an uh, increase where guys are in a relationship and they're whipped and you know it's not it's one thing to be in a relationship right and you respect your partner's consideration but there are moments where you got to be like no i'm doing this or you know like i see what you're saying but i'm still going to do this right like and you know i know some guy some guys that i'm very worried i mean i don't want to disclose too much but it's just like what are you doing with this? Why are you still here? You know, like that sort of thing. Like, I I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And this has serious implications for our society. So you have a group of men that want nothing to do with women. They're done with dating because women don't date down or they have too much, they have too high of an expectation because they want the, they want the perfect guy. And especially in a society where with Tinder, look, man, like, I could date, I could match with somebody on Bumble, which is an app where she has to t- text me and I'll get ghosted. <laughs> so even when it's her job to initiate contact, she still won't do it, you know? So that's what it's like to be a guy dating. And I'm not the only one who's done, who's had this happen to him, you know? And, you know, I don't take it personally at this point. I just realize this is the game, right? And then it, it sucks because, you know, you get so desensitized to this, and then something legitimate could actually be in front of you, but 
you're so traumatized by your experiences is that you're just hesitant. You don't, I'm just like, <sighs> so I guess I got to learn to live with heartbreak. I, I don't know. And then you talk about marriage. Ugh. The more I research it, I'm like, this is just a raw deal. Like she, like, <laughs> I don't know how early into a relationship or dating, you know, you need to talk about marriage. But once that's brought up, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is just prenup, prenup. Like, look, I'm sorry, because if I'm marrying somebody, I'm not going to divorce them because I married you. I chose you, but prenup, because I'm sorry. I didn't. Well, what do you mean? Like, if she gave me trouble then there, I would have no problem just ending it. I'm like, look, I'm just going to save money and save you trouble. Like, if you're, if you're going to give me trouble now over a prenuptial agreement where we're just talking about the idea the hypothetical situation of getting married and you're giving me trouble about a prenup then i don't want to deal with this and i think that's a lot of women a lot of girls so and i'm not saying that true love doesn't exist because i see a lot of guys that are in like actual loving relationships but then again that's just what they show to the public because i don't know what happens in closed doors that's none of my business um I didn't know why I, why I brought this up because I've just been watching a lot of like men's advice videos, a lot of relate uh, dating advice, particularly um, the just the fact that there is an attack on masculinity. There there is, and maybe it has to do with liberalism. Maybe it's because liberalism is more feminine. Maybe and people don't like to hear that. Like, what do you mean it's feminine? Because then when you bring up like gender uh, like that, that's crossing the line. What do you mean? But I don't know. I'm just noticing that. I'm just noticing that there is an increasing trend of guys in relationships that are not asserting themselves. And I'm not saying be a dick. I'm not saying that you got to be an asshole. But stand up for yourself. You know? Say, like, wait a minute, like, if there's something wrong, or, like, you know, some, this, not even something wrong, like, this is something that I want to do for myself. You get to treat yourself, and, you know, if she gives you trouble from playing games, I don't know if she does. There's a lot of girls that are okay with that, so that's what I'm trying to find. But if she gives you trouble for games, like, you never, never hang out with me. I'm just like, look, I, I'm working and doing all this stuff. Can I just have this for me, you know? Like, I saw one... TikTok. I don't watch TikTok, so it was like a mirror. But I saw one video where the girl just like unplugs the PlayStation, and like a guy like that can't get mad at his girl, so he's just like, he's just like, he's just deflated, and he's like, "This is all I have," you know. I don't want to talk too long, too much at length at this, but I'm noticing that maybe I'm getting red pilled. I think I'm getting red pilled. That's honestly what's happening here. But damn, bro. And I hope me saying this now doesn't limit my prospects of future dates. Because again, like I said, I love women. But it's just like... I, I mean, they don't date down. And this is speaking as somebody who is at the bottom end of the dating totem pole. Because I'm not... I don't come from generational wealth. I'm not a star athlete. I'm not a movie star. Uh, I certainly don't look like those either. I have my intelligence, so that gets me a long way, in fact. But, you know, 
a part of me does say that I do need a steady income and steady finances, but also I would much rather find somebody now than, you know, when I actually have success, because then that's what they really want is the, the finances and, you know, the sugar daddy, right? So there's that. And then there's also this prospect of children, you know, and I, I go back and forth on that a lot, honestly, but I don't want to talk too much about that. So that's just what's happening there. And or those are my thoughts on some things that are occurring um, in this episode. You know, I probably missed some things, you know, had some, you know, I, I you know, as I say, you know, I try to release it every two or three weeks. So, this is just another update on events in the world. I mean, I get all my almost all my information. Not that it's, you know, it's not credible. But at the same time, like, usually, like, it's after enough stories, it adds up. But I do get a lot of my information from Reddit, uh, the R-Collapse subreddit. This is Collapse Talk. But I don't want this to be, like... The official voice of Collapse Talk or the, of the Collapse because they have other podcasts like Ashes Ashes, uh, you know, the other prepper channels. So I'm just another voice in the, I guess, Doomer community. But yeah, so with that being said, so I have, if you want to support the show and if you think it's worthy, I have a Patreon and for some time, I didn't. I wasn't able to figure out how to change the prices, so I changed the prices, and for one dollar, that's really the, the base minimum that I'm asking. One dollar a month, you can get early access, ad-free access with this podcast on Patreon. Again, if you think this is worthy, and you know the reason I'm really pushing it now is because I would like to be in the position to do this more full time, and I understand completely. You know, this is a you know, economic collapse and people are struggling. So look, I get that completely, you know, I'm in that same boat. And, you know, when people talk about work, well, I want this to be my work, right? But right now I'm just doing it for shits and giggles. So if people, you know, if people actually believed in my work and I certainly need to, you know, produce more content and be more uh, higher uh, quality in that sense in time though it's like an investment right so if people will invest more in me then i can invest more in them because i'm seeing there's a return oh people are liking what i'm doing so that that, that would be a drive you know it's an actual financial incentive because i'll be honest i don't mind doing deliveries like i very much like driving around listening to my well sometimes i'll listen to my podcast but I'm really more just like well, what did I miss? What did I do wrong here? But I like just listening to music and then dealing with food on the road. I mean, of course, I'm trying to keep, you know, situationally aware of what's around me. But I like doing that and not having somebody over my shoulder, you know, monitoring me. What do you, like, of course, there are people, you know, on the you know GPS looking and like, well, what's, what's taking so long with my food? I try not to take too long, but. You know, you know, I would, I would like to keep it the way I have it, where I can be working gig stuff, whatever, 
and then also do my podcast. And as I've said in the past, trying to also do like a game playthrough. I talked about Kenshi that I was um, trying to get recordings of. And I, I had I was actually starting a recording, but things went really bad. So I'm going to have to restart on that. But that's what I love about this game. Because everything can go according to plan and then it goes south. But I'll have that out soon. So for y'all to see, because this is a lot of potential, especially with mods. So with that being said, right, Patreon. And if you think it's worthy, $1 a month, that's all I ask. And you can get early ad-free content as well as, you know, I have a PayPal account. And my email, corresponding email, uh, collapsetalkpod at outlook.com. And then I have my Twitter at collapsetalkpod. So trying to be more active there as well. But then again, your Twitter is kind of a, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bad place to stay on for a while. So with that being said, those are my uh, posts. I'll, I'll, you know, I try on my Reddit links. Um, I put on my Patreon post and the mods don't like that. So you're going to have to find that on your own. But again, Collapse Talk at Patreon. Everything else I can post links of. YouTube, all that good stuff. So again... I uh, appreciate bearing with me for now, and we'll see you all next time. So thank you all. Stay safe and stay healthy.